this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Sam Goodman of The Hop Nerd here with another episode of The Hop Nerd Podcast. How are you today? I hope you're doing amazing. It's always amazing here in the sunny and the beautiful Phoenix, Arizona for me. Looking forward to hearing from you. Make sure you reach out, thehopnerd at gmail.com. Head over to the website, www.thehopnerd.com. Follow along on all things social media at The Hop Nerd. Unless it's Twitter, because it's super duper special. That is the Hop Nerd one. Make sure you slide into the DMs, reach out, give me a call, shoot me a text. Let's get this conversation started. I look forward to hearing from you today. It's going to be a super amazing, awesome episode because we have part two of Nate Brayman. If you haven't listened to part one, make sure you go back to last week's episode, dig in, listen to that. This one's not going to make a ton of sense unless you listen to the first one, but jump in. I won't hold you up anymore. Here we go. It's super important to always kind of understand the, the true kind of vantage point for those metrics, too, and like, mm-hmm. or for those measurements, right? Those measurements, even if mm-hmm. we're not metricized, those measurements. Um, and I threw, I've thrown out kind of a, a graph or a picture <laughs> this week, last week. I don't remember. My, my days run together, as most of ours do, right? Um, talking, about the, talk, talking about the viewpoint that we have with metrics or measurements, right? And I kind of wish I'd have done it a little different now, now that I've kind of thought about it. Um, where, you know, most of the time we just like to I always like to share this and imagine that we're in a car driving again, safety guy recovering. That's part of what we always talk about is driving, driving and handrails. That's our two things. Um, <laughs> but, um, so most of the time we 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 have this, this viewpoint that's, that's the dashboard, the gauges, right? Mm-hmm. The cluster. And we're not looking out the windshield, right? So the better viewpoint is probably looking out the windshield and keeping the gauges, gauges kind of a little in your, in your view. But what I wish I would have done is move the true. lagging indicators to the rearview mirror. That would have made a lot more sense, right? I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking about this now. Right? So if anybody wants to yeah. steal this and make it a lot better, please do. I think this would be a much better idea. Your kind of lagging indicators are in your rearview mirror. Your leading indicators mm-hmm. are kind of on the dashboard and your context and reality is what's outside the windshield. Right. Yeah, so, I like it. I like it. I like right. that analogy. That's a good one. Right. So you're, you really have to see the full picture to understand. And mm-hmm. most of the time, most most of the time, most organizations are so focused on just the rearview mirror. And so you imagine yourself staring in a rearview mirror driving down the road at 70, 80. I don't know what, I don't know what the speed limits are there, but I'll tell you, uh, on I-10 in Arizona, if you're not doing 100, you're going to die. You're going to have to do at least 100. <laughs> so while doing 100 miles an hour down the road, staring in the rearview mirror just doesn't do you a lot of good. Does it make some sense to glance at it every now and again to kind of mm-hmm. see where you've been? For sure. Right. Does it make sense to glance down and kind of keep those leading indicators right there in your view to see kind of where fuel's at, to see where 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 temps at, where oil pressure's at? For sure. But what you're still paying most attention to is what's going on outside of the car. What's yeah. what's right in front of you, what's in front of you, what's outside that windshield. That's where all that reality and context is at. That's the super duper important stuff. So mm-hmm. those other pieces are important. The rearview mirror comes in handy. The dashboard comes in a lot of handy. It can help you kind of, it's not going to tell you exactly, you get an engine light, it's not going to tell you exactly what's wrong, right? But it kind of yeah. gives you a little bit of a, a weak signal there to say, hey, 
there's probably something not great happening over here. You might want to slow down and take a look at it, right? Yeah. But it's that whole picture. Yeah, exactly. And that that's a really good point. Like, I honestly don't have a problem with executives setting their own goals on the outcomes. Right. Goal, but goals, they, metrics, but, two different things. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, well but this is what happens, though. This is what happens is that if if the executive is measuring the outcomes, mm-hmm. if the executive is measuring, you know, the, by the total recordable incident rate, then that just rolls down. That, that right. becomes the focus for everybody. And that's like yeah. now everybody's worried about what's in the rearview mirror. I, I don't the think people, I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't think that they understand the power that they yield or will sometimes. Yeah. Right. Because right. We, we've had that. And I'm sure you can relate to this. Anybody mm-hmm. out there that has dealt with executives can 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 relate to this or been around organizations. Um that are larger in nature is that you have that, especially that well-respected or feared, so kind of the same a little bit, mm-hmm. <laughs> executive mm-hmm. can walk into a room and go, you know, this room would look better blue. And then the next day it's painted blue. Exactly. Right. So I think that's some exactly. of what, where you're kind of going with that is that for sure, what, what might be a goal to them kind of goes that telephone game through the organization to where, you know, executive John Doe said that we will only get one of these. <laughs> I have such a good story about this. I have such a good story, a Marine Corps story. So this was so funny because this is a perfect example. So our com- our commanding officer uh, would call uh, muster or have a meeting, and he would say, okay, everybody should be there at 0800. Okay, and then the whole mantra in the Marine Corps is like, you got to be there 15 minutes prior. Right. Right. So his immediate um, direct reports would say, okay, CO said we have to be there at eight o'clock. So we should tell everybody to be there at seven forty-five. <laughs> You're right. You know? And then and then those um, NCOs like the gunnery sergeants were like, okay, got it, seven forty-five. I'm gonna tell my guys to be there at seven thirty, you know? Well, and it would roll down like that. <laughs> and we would always show up at like seven o'clock and then the CO would come come waltzing in an hour later and I'm like, my God. This guy is always an hour late to his own muster. It's like, what's going on here? This guy's crazy. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And yeah, I, I know I know some leaders and some uh, some civilian organizations that do the same thing. <laughs> we need you here for training at six thirty in the morning. Training starts at eight. Right? <laughs> oh, you can you can just tell the look when they walk in. You know, and they're like. Mm-hmm. First one here. Oh God, I know what happened, right? Um, (laughs) So one one thing that I think is really interesting that we um, not to open a whole other can of worms because we we dove into a lot of stuff here, super important stuff. But I think that one thing that's super important is that I think most of our organizations we went down this this path um, of really believing that we create safety through constraining the worker. Right. And uh, we've, we've all kind of been there. I, I hope that most of us are growing out of it. I've seen most organizations kind of get starting to get past that. Right. But that's led to a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of rules, a lot of administratium. Mm-hmm. Right. We've, it's it's safety's become heavily just paperwork driven, just bloated with rules. Our rule books have went from stuff yeah. that has fit in pockets to stuff that now takes up entire cabinets on their own. Yeah. Um, and so how do you think we start to overcome that? Is that something that we can or should? Should we just drop a grenade into our, our old systems and start from scratch? Yeah, in some cases, yeah. zero-based accounting, you know, start from scratch and build it up. I absolutely think that is one option. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, 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 um, I, I had a book recommended to me by one of my good friends, <clears throat> um, and it's called uh, Scrum. Mm-hmm. 
and it's a project management, um, agile management, right. but there's a lot of really good parallels there. Um, you know, and one of them is, uh, is, is bringing its transparency and transparency lends itself to communication. Mm. Let everyone know what's going on, you know, um, have, get rid of all of the staunchy hierarchy. It's okay to have leadership, but to have layers and layers and layers of, you know, this person reports to this person and this person reports up to this person. And you have all these gates, you end up with gatekeeping yeah. silos being built. And that all is a barrier to communication. And people are trying to, you know, maintain influence and power by, you know, they'll walk over to these people and then they'll talk to them and massage a narrative and they'll, and then they'll walk over to the other group and, and try to insert themselves as the middlemen. And they all do that. A lot of that has to do with just having layers and layers of different job titles and all that crap. So if you wipe all that away, use the grenade, mm. you know, and flatten out the organization, you still need to have leaders. I'm not saying, you know, make it like a, a like a communist thing, but, you know, flatten it out, make it transparent. And it's sort of like um, what Toyota does. What Toyota does, they have an assembly line. And anytime there's a problem anywhere on the assembly line, they'll stop the line and they'll bring everyone together and everyone will help solve the problem. Yep. And then and then they all go back and continue working. You know, there's none of this behind the scenes. These, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. So, you know, and again, that comes down to principles. It comes down to learning. And in order to learn, we need to communicate. I think we need to communicate much, much better. Well, and I, th- I think so much of that, too. I told you to your point exactly. Yeah, the, that kind of, that kind of, hey, I got a problem, then everyone swarms it type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. a, a lot of this stuff goes hand in hand, right? And I think that's what's super interesting as most of our organizations kind of in this day and time. Uh, and I can ex- especially speak to the utility space because we're, heavily down the lean path, right? We're heavily down all that. And it a lot of it does kind of yield to each other, right? I mean, it really does kind of play play nicely, pretty well together. Mm-hmm. Um, so to your point, I think transparency is super, super duper important. And I think that's one place that I think that we don't communicate enough in, just in general, right? Most organizations just don't talk enough. They yeah. don't have enough Absolutely. conversations in, in any format, just pit, pit whatever, right? We just need to talk more. And we especially need to talk about the stuff that's painful. Yeah. Right. And if we can just focus on those things, most of us out there just trying to talk more as an organization, and if we approach it a little different, I just really find. And so part of what, what I've spent a lot of my career doing is going out and talking to employees, right, mostly through focus groups and things like that and trying to pulse frontline kind of stuff, right, find friction, mm-hmm. find the suck kind of stuff. And most commonly – Throughout organizations, I've heard is that they're most organizations are just they don't want people don't want that conversation that feels like it's coming from a corporation, and that's usually what we give them, right? It's, oh, usually, yeah. it's usually super formal, not going to say anything that's even going to maybe make you crack a smile because it might be offensive to someone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not going to give any of that. Here's your black and white paper on this, and it feels like I got a letter from the bank. Right. So true. And yeah. what most people want is they want that family feel. They want that letter from their best friend, right? They want that kind of more um, people-based approach. They, they just want something more personable. So if we can communicate more, if we can communicate more around the sucky stuff that we really don't want to communicate about, especially when we have problems, right? Especially when we have, when we do have performance issues, when we do have someone that's turned from one of our locations, when we do have something that, probably normally something that we wouldn't talk about, right? There is things that we can talk about. 
Um, and then we need to make sure that we're talking to people like they're people. Like we would want to be communicating with. So I think mm-hmm. those are all kind of super important rules or just general tips that we should probably try to roll in. That's one thing that I've fought with with organizations <laughs> quite a bit is like, listen, I don't like to do this, but here's a list of words that I don't want you to use. And so I can just, I'm just thinking about the last one of those that I put together. The first word at the top of that list was recordable. It's like you're banned from saying recordable from now on. And they, they seriously, I mean, yeah, for sure. Right. You're banned from saying you it's we, right. You're banned from this word. And it, it was kind of given some, again, coming out of a focus group and saying, this is what the front line is saying. This is not just stuff I'm going out and making up. Right. This is, this is what the point is saying is that, you know, every time something bad happens, they, they never hear about the learning. They hear that it's recordable, and that's kind of where it stops. Yeah, yeah. All right, so kind of going to some of the other points that we made. but So I think that's to kind of bring that whole rambling communication rant that I just had there kind of back full circle um, yeah. is going out to your folks and asking them how, they, how, how you need to communicate with them is kind of important. Yeah. And you're going to have little and, pockets that you're going to have to do something different for. Yeah, and it, and you know it starts it starts at the top when you agree uh, I, there's such a world of difference between right. servant leadership and then the guys who just have big egos and like to boss people around you know right right like this business owners be careful who you choose to lead your companies right you know like if you got if you got a guy like i, I saw this one um, this one thing happen one time where you know it's like went to an open office and you know it was supposed to be more the intent was to make it more of a collaborative workspace, right. but every, no one's talking. It's dead quiet all the time. People just whisper. No one talks mm-hmm. to anybody anymore. And um, then, you know, th- there's this um, notice that goes out by like the VP of HR that says it took a picture of, of someone's desk and you can still see, didn't even try to block out their name tag or anything, but put a picture out of this messy desk and said, you know, you could clean up your desks, not so your desk doesn't look like this, you know? <laughs> I'm just like, oh my gosh, you know, that's just the wrong approach. Like, what was he thinking, you know? What kind of tone are you creating? What kind of environment are you making for your employees? You know, you're making one of fear, discipline, and, you you know, you're just walking around with a stick and embarrassing people. You know, that's poor leadership. And if you have leaders like that in place, that's the first place I would start if it was my business. I would want to know about that because, you know, leaders are there to facilitate, and it's not – I, I think that what happens sometimes is that when you get a job title that's really fancy, you get this idea that that means you have all the right answers. Mm-hmm. And a leader isn't there to have all the right answers. So no, no one person, everyone, no one's going to have all the right answers. Every single person is a mix of good and bad ideas. Yeah. And so what should happen? A leader needs to understand that they're there to facilitate um, um, ideas and transparency and communication so that the best ideas can lead the way. Right. And that's right. not always going to come from them. No. And I think it's, I think it's, this is a place where I pick on, um, I really pick on our profession quite mm-hmm. a bit. Right. I, I, I do because I, uh, and I'm sure you've encountered this. I've encountered this quite a bit. Most folks can relate to this is that you come across those safety pros that kind of shoot from the hip. Right. And they're kind of that pew, pew, kind of, yep. Got the answer. Always got the answer. It's me. You know me. Oh, yeah. I've got the answer for you. I'll tell you exactly what the answer is. And it's similar to where really what we should be going out is going out and saying, Hey, what do you need? Yeah. What do you need to be successful? Tell me what you need to be successful. So let's start there. And okay, let's go from there. Tell me, tell me what sucks. What's the suck in your job? Where's the friction point? What rules yeah. do you have that don't make sense? 
Right. So to me, it's, it's exactly. And I pick on us or our profession in general because um, for so long we were kind of looked at as having all the answers. So I think we were kind of forced mm-hmm. into that position for a while. Some organizations, yeah. they, folks still are, right? And I, again, I don't think there's any problem. Um, I know some very knowledgeable uh, professionals out there that, especially when it comes to uh, regulatory stuff or you name it, right? They probably do hold all the answers, right? And I lean mm-hmm. on them for that. But it's that, right? right? That's, the, that's the important part. Um, is really instead of assuming whether you're a leader, a safety professional, or whoever, that you have the answers, it's being right. curious to find out from other people. There you go. Right, and I think that's a piece. Um, that's the piece that I pick on with us, uh, our profession, more than anything else. Even more so than kind of my just original comment here is the general lack of curiosity. Hmm. That's that's. A, I think that's a really great point, and. Um, my good friend Jason Maldonado has a, has a website, relentlesssafety.com. And he actually, uh, I don't know, it's like a month ago, he wrote exactly the same talking about that exact same thing. I'll have to go read it now. That's so cool. Yeah. Check it out. That's so cool. Yeah. Because it is right. And you find that, you find that to where it's just like, really, you just don't, not that curious about why that, why they're not following that. I promise you there's a reason. If, if, and I like to I like to relate that on to leaders in particular is that just imagine you know if your best worker is breaking your most sacred rule, right? It's not the worker. Yeah. There's something going on. There's a reason, right? Most mm-hmm. folks don't go out and have problems. Kind of we're circling back to air here a little bit, right? But most folks don't go out and choose to kind of have those problems for their own gain. It's usually for yours, right? They're usually trying to be productive. Exactly. They're usually trying to be efficient. They're usually trying to get stuff done. And they exactly. find themselves in those situations, but kind of, kind of moving a little bit farther than that, kind of the general overarching stuff. What do you think about culture? What, and you hear this term thrown around. Most people, again, you probably know my feelings a little bit, but some people throw around this term safety culture. And I kind of go, my teeth grit a little bit when I hear that. Um, so we'll just say culture. What do you think about culture? What role does that play in this whole thing? Yeah. Defining it is hard. Yeah. Right. That's a Voltaire quote. If you wish to speak with me first, define your terms. So we need to make sure we're talking about the same thing. Um, And that's why I think psychology plays such a huge role in safety, way more than just about anything else. And um, a big a big part that uh, has influence on a culture is your marketing. Hmm. And so you're going to have you you have these in any culture and safety needs to be able to market well enough to influence that culture in a positive way, hopefully in a way that's actionable and focused on success and not failure, right? And if you can do those things, you are going to, even if subconsciously over time, if there's enough visibility, it will become more attractive to people. Like some, some people have such a bad taste in their mouth because they've just been abused and, you know, browbeat mm-hmm. by quote unquote safety leads right. for a long time, the safety cops, you know? Yeah. And some people have really just, uh, just really have a hard time when they hear safety, they just recoil and grip their teeth, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I totally get it. Um, and so you have to find a way to, to get through that. And, um, you know, the studies show that's one way you can do it. Even if sub- subconsciously they're mm-hmm. seeing it, you can get through and you can influence your culture that way. Yeah. So I do think culture is a big part of it. It's how you get into the culture. I think you do it through marketing. You do it through being yeah. frequent and, and, and being saturating. Well, and I think it's super important too, because that's kind of what I, the way that I kind of describe that. Um, 
you know, it's, it's really, again, you're right, it's super hard to define, and it's super tempting yeah. to kind of just call culture, you know, that's the way we do things around here. That's kind of how most people define it. It's the way we do stuff. It's our norms. It's our, our basic values or type of stuff. But I really like the way that Edgar Schein kind of gets into it. And if you haven't, people haven't checked that out, there's a really interesting kind of intro read out there called the Corporate Culture Survival Guide. And you can pick it up on Amazon. It's a pretty quick read. It's pretty awesome. There's lots of charts and pictures in it, so it works good for me. So, I'm <laughs> but it really gets into this this idea that there's really three levels of culture, right? Because you usually what we see is most of our companies have this kind of list of values on the wall, right? We all know what we all know what we're talking about, like everybody's core got principles, one of those, right? Yeah. yeah, you got a core principles where you got this weird, wacky looking thing that's like forty seven things and some purpose and some other things, right? But there's a bunch of stuff on it, and it's like this is our values mm-hmm. and this is our core principles type of stuff. But then sure. when you go out or you, or you you listen to executives or you listen to other folks in the organization. Um, you might see something different. That's how it really works. Right, you see something different. And that's <laughs> yeah. where you get into that part, really, of getting back into the underlying assumptions. And that's the piece that really influences everything else, right? So I, I, I agree with you that you have to get in how you really get into working on those. Is that, right? Change is ultimately a big PR campaign, right? It really yeah. is. And so digging into that stuff is super important. And, you know, those underlying assumptions, they're unconscious. We take them for granted. There are beliefs, perceptions, kind of all that general stuff. And we picked on the one around air, which is kind of common. Um, we really see that one manifest a lot because it's just when bad stuff happens, that influences severely how we react. Right. So I think that is a super important piece is that if you want to really, I wouldn't worry about getting into the definition of it, but if you want to influence the quote unquote, you know, greater culture, get into the assumption piece. Yeah. Right? Get into the underlying well, assumptions, kind of treating this you know, posting a new set of values doesn't change anything. It's the, mm-hmm. the assumptions in which those values are based. You know, and I would go, I would take it, if I were to take it down to its root, all the way down to its most basic fundamental principle on what is a culture, I think you have two types of, not necessarily people, but two types of behaviors. And people can switch back and forth. Mm-hmm. But there's two basic behaviors that any, any action can fall into. Generally speaking, okay, and one of them is the behavior is somebody who is assuming greater responsibility or taking responsibility on, and the other the other one is they're trying to avoid responsibility. Right. And I think that fundamental that, that very fundamental toggle switch, like if if you start getting these um, attitudes from the higher ups where it's more of a blame culture. That means they're not taking responsibility for what's going on. They're not going to want to look at their systems. If they built the systems and they built the policies in their ivory towers and the system is pumping out negative results or results that they don't like, they don't want to look inside and say, I need to take responsibility for this and find how I can improve it from my end. No. What they'll typically do is say, well, you guys shouldn't have done this. What were you thinking? Right. Right. But uh, you know, proper leadership would say, we need to look in the mirror. Right. And we need to see what we can do because we're failing too. We, we need to take on our responsibility. So, you know, it's almost like if we could stop ourselves and say, okay, am I going to take on the path of more responsibility or I'm going to take on less responsibility? I'm going to run away from responsibility. You know, well, and it's a super hope. interesting thing going on there because it's so much mm-hmm. easier to blame and label because then. The blaming and labeling puts puts all that really kind of hard stuff into a nice little box with a bow on it you can put on a shelf and kind of get past. Mm-hmm. 
right? And you don't have to you don't have to dig into it's all easy. that painful stuff. That's like, man, we kind of suck at this, <laughs> right? Yeah. You, you don't have to dig into all of that stuff. So there is a it's it's it seems the problem is is it's 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 so simple, right? It's so attractive because it's so simple. Yeah. Well, you can't you can't fix stupid, right? So if we can label it as stupid, there's nothing to fix here. So yeah. we can put that on the shelf and we can just, you know, we can discipline Bob, but, you know, we tried. That's all we had because he was just stupid. And right. now the organization can move on. Now we can clean our hands. We, we can, can wash our know, hands wipe, of it and move on. Wash we, our hands we, of it. We, we have no, uh, nothing, nothing to work on here. Right. Our you know systems what great are analogy. perfect, right? Our systems are perfect, but it was just for yeah. that, that giggly Bob. He just messed up. Yeah, you know, you know, a great analogy of this is the book Pinocchio. Yeah, have you ever read that book or seen the movie? I have, yeah, yeah. All right, so do you remember when Pinocchio went onto Pleasure Island mm. and he's like smoking and drinking beers, yeah, yeah. right, and breaking windows, yeah, and there's yeah. all these boys running amok, right? right? So he's not in school, he's not doing the things he should do, he's not following his conscience, right? The Jiminy Cricket, so he's parted ways with his conscience. And now he's on Pleasure Island smoking and drinking, and he's shooting pool with Lampwick. There's this really good scene that I think is so deep and and just fundamental to what we're talking about here. It's such a perfect analogy. So you have Pinocchio, and you have Lampwick, right? right? So Pinocchio's made some mistakes. We've all made mistakes. No one's perfect. But in our pursuit to become our better selves, uh, Pinocchio's on his pursuit to become a real boy, right? Not just a wooden puppet, you know? He's... He has made some mistakes, and here he Pleasure Island with Lampwick. Well, what happens as they're sitting there shooting pool and they're just having a great time? Well, suddenly they sprout donkey ears. Like, they're literally transforming into jackasses. Right. Right? Because they're, do- they're just on Pleasure Island. It's all about the self. They're not going to take any responsibility. They're not doing the right thing. They're doing the easy thing, right? So here they are shooting pool. They sprout these ears and donkey tails, and Lampwick transforms first and he looks in the mirror okay and we just talked about looking in the mirror, right? mm-hmm. so lampwick looks in the mirror and what does he do he just he just he won't acknowledge the reality of what's happening here mm-hmm. he doesn't want to acknowledge it so what he does is he starts thrashing around and then he wants to break the mirror mm-hmm. and you have to be really careful as a safety manager uh, becoming the mirror if you become the mirror and you show that hey, you guys are looking like jackasses here, right? I wouldn't, I would say that, right? Right, right. But, but basically, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to say, hey, look, you guys are not. This is not the right path. Right. Well, you have to be careful because the lampwick, the ones who avoid responsibility, they're going to try to break you. So you just that you know that's just the unfortunate truth. You really have to be careful, um, you know. But then Pinocchio, hopefully, you're going to be dealing with a Pinocchio. And what Pinocchio did is he saw what was happening to himself. He acknowledged that he had made some wrong choices, and what does he do? He finds his conscience. He follows his conscience off of pleasure on. Yeah. Like, <laughs> hopefully, you're going to be dealing with some Pinocchios, not Lampwicks. <laughs> right, 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 right. No, that's super interesting. That kind of brings me back because we, we had a little bit of conversation around uh, some of that the other day. And so you're an author as well, right? That's something else to throw out there? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's a good ahead. point, like, yeah, Pinocchio it was a big part of the inspiration for, for my children's book called Mandola. And um, it's a children's book I published in uh, 2018. It's available on Amazon. Yeah, and it, it is. So I've, I've just um, 
went on Amazon and looked at it. It's definitely on the uh, order list just because I want to get it because, I mean, it looks amazing just from awesome. the uh, illustration and all that stuff. So I tell folks to go out and look that up because it looks super good. So it looks super yeah, I got, good. I got lucky. I got a really great illustrator. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a it's a picture book. You know, it's meant for young children uh, from that angle. There's, there's, you could read it to your child. Okay. In fact, I, I uh, made it um, partially with my son in mind. He was uh, five years old at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was afraid of the dark. And I used the book Courage to Face His Fears, which is really the theme of the book. It's about, you know, the main character uh, goes down into this uh, this cave under the water. He gets pulled down by this monster. And uh, he meets a girl named Prin. Hmm. And Prin is really just his principles. It's sort of like the Jiminy Cricket of the book, right? right. And so Prin equips him with a tool and encourages him to face that monster. And when he faces the monster, he's actually, he dies and is reborn, just like Pinocchio. Pinocchio actually dies facing facing Monstro. And then he ends up reborn as a real boy, like the fairy came down, you know, and uh, made him into a real boy. Well, well, my main character's name is Fennec. So he, he conquers the monster, but then he dies and is reborn. And in the book, he becomes very colorful, right? He becomes a better version of himself from facing his fears. Um, and then, and then, you know, ends up with, uh, a bunch of books actually, uh, gains knowledge and wisdom and ends up in a better place, ends up on a, on a, on an Island called Aurum Island, which is like a golden Island to another, he, he went to a better place. And, uh, some of the other inspiration from that was the Kings, uh, King Arthur's Knights of the Round Table. And there's such an inspiration in that story where they're looking for the Holy Grail which is symbolic of the most valuable thing. And, you know, for everybody, right, whatever your holy grail is, it could be different one person to the next. But if you're searching for something of value to you, mm-hmm. uh, the knights, they went into the forest that the place was darkest to them. They all split up and they all looked into the forest and they entered the place that was darkest to them. And there's a lot of wisdom there. Yeah. Right? Your fear, the things you're afraid to face are the things you should be facing. Mm-hmm. Super, um, that's yeah. that's the psychology that part of it, right? I think that's important in understanding people. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of deep, deep things, you know, and there's still more to learn for me. Like it's a fascinating topic, but it it definitely has helped in my understanding of safety, and it's and it's drawn me into the the side of things. Well, and I think that's that's super interesting because you touch on something that is vitally important to us: um, continued learning and, and really continued personal growth and evolution and figuring exactly. this stuff out because i mean i can i can stand here and uh cuss at the past <laughs> as much as i want to but i've been a part of it too right i was just having yeah. this conversation about an organization the other day that it's it's easy for me where i'm at now to look back and go well that was dumb yeah. <laughs> right well, it, it, uh-huh. it, it doesn't it doesn't remedy the fact that it probably was dumb um but we grew right that's kind of the point um so again, I, I, we've all been at that point in our careers where we've probably hung up a poster that said zero at one point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? We've probably all been at that point where we've talked about how we need to dramatically lower TRR. Right? We've probably all been there at some point if you've been around this profession for a while, right? Um, right. So I, I guess that's really, really it. What, what do you think? Where do you think all of this goes? I mean, Hop is where we're at now, but I, it's probably not yeah. just going to stay there. Where do you think? You know, we come up with these fancy handy-dandy names for stuff, 
traditional mm -hmm. this and, and HP that and HPI and then hop and then kind of all this different stuff to try to give it some some linear order, some timeline as to where we've been and where we're going, <laughs> I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but where do you think it all goes? Whew, it depends how far down the road you look, you know. Yeah. Um, in the more immediate future, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for um, taking advantage of technology, you know, uh, wearables and AI and, um, you know, things like, Watson, uh, statistical analysis. I, th I think that there's a lot more we can do um, with in, in the immediate future with some of the technologies that are coming out. Yeah. And, and, and in the long term, I think automation ultimately, you know, in principle is probably the, it is probably the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess you could call it the holy grail for mm -hmm. safety is automation because you know, study, there's a Harvard study that says that humans are distracted 47% of the time. Mm -hmm. That is just how we are wired. There is no changing that. Like, oh, at least man. I don't think we're going to be you rewiring I, the human brain. You right? mean I'm, I'm, I'm going to lose situational awareness? <laughs> yeah, no matter what. <laughs> in fact, it, in fact, distraction is such a normal state, we don't even know right. we're being distracted. It's so normal. There's some interesting stuff on there about driving and going into micro-sleeps, actually. I don't know if you've read any of that. I have. It's, it's super it's scary and interesting and crazy and yeah, yeah. It is yeah. crazy. If you haven't read that? Go, go look that up. That's pretty cool. Not, not to, get you, not, not to get you off, off topic there. I just, no, just no, no, that's me. okay. I'm that's like, I'm like that's super cool. People need to look at that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely check it out. I mean, that's the psychology thing. We need to understand how the human works, yeah. and so we can make reasonable expectations. You know, yeah. and um, you know, we need to understand. I think ninety percent of what we can do and contribute to the workplace as safety professionals is going to be focused on the system. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Deming said that a bad system will be a good person every time. Right. Um, if people are interested, they could go look up the red bead experiment by Deming. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a amazing um, experiment that is like kind of eye opening. Um, it, you know, and that's his way of proving that a bad system beats a good person basically. Um, and then, you know, ultimately, if you want to reduce your vehicle accidents, you need to automate vehicles. You know, Tesla is doing that now. Yeah. Um, well, and it's, it's, it, it's super interesting just because you see, you know, we have system-induced stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And that's probably the, the biggest chunk of what we deal with, right? As, to your point, that's really usually the stuff that we can, we can dramatically improve upon. That's probably where we should focus. And then you have that smaller chunk of that pie that's kind of normal – human stuff right that's the oh crap i lost my cell phone mm -hmm. stuff that are you are you ever really going to get rid of all that stuff <laughs> probably not can you I, I, you know again kind of not not diving too much into our previous conversation <laughs> but we you know should should you give people better tools should you work on that stuff should you focus on individual but for sure right i don't think you ignore that stuff i just don't yeah. think that's the i don't think that's the ball that gives you the most yards Right. So right. I, I, th I think that the way that you get more yardage out of that ball is actually by assuming that all that stuff's just going to happen, mm -hmm. that people are going to do dumb things because we're people yeah. and that's what we're really good at and building systems that are tolerant of that. Yes. Instead of trying to tr instead of trying to, to, to drive the air out of the system, building the air into the system, assuming right. that it's going to be there, that that look. Sam is dumb. <laughs> Sam is going to do dumb things. And we see that, right? You bring up the car example. I mean, most folks out there have heard the Volvo example. Most folks aren't aware that Subaru is kind of on the same path in a lot of ways. And the companies like Tesla and all those are kind of moving in that direction due to their redefinition of, of safety, right? 
Um, mm-hmm. But it comes from that shift in assumptions. And instead of just trying to say, well, we're just going to prevent stuff from happening by making you a better driver, we're just going to assume you're the world's worst and you're going to wreck every time you get in a car. Right. And that's really where exactly. we have to get with our, with our systems too, right? It's really that re- – it's back to that general redefinition of safety, that safety is not the, 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 the absence, right? It's not the absence of accidents. It's the presence of capacity. It's the presence of positives, right? Having that margin mm-hmm. there in which systems can absorb things when Sam does something stupid and tries to wreck his car. Sam might get a scratch. Sam might get a broken leg but Sam's going to walk away from it. Maybe limping, mm-hmm. but walking away from it, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and then, the, and the thing is, is everyone's so different. Right. You know, not everybody can be Michael Jordan, right? There's certain right. talents we all have. We all have strengths and weaknesses, and there's so many things going on in our lives that are all different. You just can't expect everyone to be robotic and exactly the same. And so how do you approach that from a system standpoint, mm-hmm. or not a system standpoint, but from a systemic standpoint of, right. you can't just treat everyone the same. And how do you measure that? And, and you measure it won't really know you know it's um it's too much there are too it's way too complicated right right and i, to I manage found people. i found that um in some of the kind of post event learning team kind of stuff that I've, I've seen um is that what's really interesting about that stuff is that you can't sit down and imagine all the ways that you could get the same outcome of something it's, it's, it's infinite almost, right? I mean, you can sit down exactly. and you just can't figure it out. Um, so most of these kind of learning team things that I've seen, uh, it's super interesting, especially at the pointy end. They tend to go there a lot faster than what we normally do. We, we've been so organizationally, we've been so wired to, to investigate how we failed to prevent things, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, well, this could happen 150,000 different ways. Why don't we just figure out how to, uh, when this fails, no matter which way it fails, how do yeah. we keep it from killing somebody? Mm-hmm. That's the more important question. It's just stopping it from yeah. failing, and it's kind of the same question with people, right? When you have that, you have those people, obviously, where they kind of couple in and work with the system. How do we just make sure that they can't operate themselves into a corner? Mm-hmm. That there's a bazillion different ways that they could fail. How do we make sure that when they do, that they don't die right. while operating X Y Z process? Right, and I think there's it does. Come, it. I think it does come back to that: is okay, what the sticky stuff? What's the stuff that kills us? Do we have the right essential mm-hmm. controls around it when it tries to, and is that enough? Mm-hmm. And I think those are super important questions to ask around all of our everything out there, right? So I didn't yeah. mean to cut you off. Go ahead there. Yeah. Well, you know, interesting thing is if you are um, if you are sleep deprived or fatigued, mm-hmm. studies show that that's that's very similar to being you know you know inebriated with alcohol. Right. Like if you're if you're lacking sleep, that's very similar to to being um, you know point away BAC. So I, I have to say, I feel much better. And I'm normally sleep deprived, so I understand both of these feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel much mm-hmm. better on the ne- on the inebriated side than I do. Right? Sleep <laughs> Just yeah, it's probably <laughs> worse when you're fatigued. That's a great point. So I'm I'm like a four hour yeah. a night kind of guy. <laughs> Holy cow! Back wow. to the coffee well, conversation. So I, I, yeah. <laughs> so here's but here's my question. Here's my question. Hmm. Why is it that companies are they they they're accepting the fact that uh, yeah, we, we, we're not going to have employees being drunk in the workplace. Like, that's completely unacceptable, right? Right. right. Like, if you show up drunk, you're probably going to get fired, like, at least in most of the companies I ever worked in. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. However, however, um, you know, if somebody's tired, it's like they don't even bother. So you know? It's super interesting because, you know, it was weird for me because I grew up in the nuclear industry. Right, in the commercial nuclear generation industry. 
to kind of make it a little bit more specific. Nuclear industry is kind of more broad, <laughs> but in commercial nuclear generation. And so they had a very robust fatigue management process, right? They, they just did. And, and I'm not saying that it was perfect. You would still, you could still get kind of sleep deprived, but there was a, a very kind of open atmosphere about saying, Hey, I'm too tired. That was, that was an answer. That was an accepted answer. You could say that. Interesting. Right. Interesting. And most places, I'm not saying that's a perfect system, obviously site to site to site location, but you get where I'm going. Um, yeah. That was something that was tracked. That was something that was monitored and, and enforced, right? It was regulated, right? Um, because of the nature of the technology that you're working with, right? If you were a covered employee, um, you fell under this program and you were limited to certain hours that you could work. And for, for so many hours, you had to have so many hours off. And if you worked so many days in a row for so many hours, you had to have so many days off type of thing, right? And then as you kind of come over to kind of outside of that space, that's not how most of the world works, right? And that was kind of a, a, an eye-opening moment for me after spending the first kind of sizable chunk of my career in that field. I'm like, holy crap, other people don't do this? <laughs> right? Wow. So once you, yeah, so once once you, um, and so years ago when I first stepped over into um, fossil generation and construction and kind of all those things, I'm going, oh my, we're not, yeah. what, what? <laughs> right? So I agree with you. I think it is something that, that it's probably worth taking a dive into. I've seen most uh, most utilities at least have some form of something. To say that it was ro- robust or that they are robust is probably kind of laughable, and I'm not picking on all of them because some of them might have some great programs out there in and around that, mm-hmm. but I've not seen them, right? It's still one of those things where like, as long as you get an app, you're fine. It's usually kind of how, how most of those are applied. So I agree, yeah. when people are fatigued, What's super interesting about that too, with extreme fatigue, not only do they kind of have that, those same kind of symptoms being being intoxicated, um, but they also take greater risk. So there's yeah. some other studies out there that show that as well that that you're that you're you're much more willing to take on a risk that you wouldn't normally take. Uh, and, and not picking on the risk piece, I'm not a, I'm not a risk well, guy, so I'm, I'm super not a risk guy. So I'm, I'm more of I'm more of a control guy, right? Yeah. I don't think risk really is something that we manage very much. I think we manage more control than what we really manage risk because the risk really never changes, right? We can never get rid of mm-hmm. it. If we ever do, it creates a vacuum and it sucks in more, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, but so, but it's still with that. So if you're pulling up to an intersection, you're much and you kind of judging traffic. If you're fatigued, you're more likely to kind of go, oh, that's fine, and you kind of run it, right? Just to give some really stupid example. Um, right. So you kind of couple those things together, and then not to get down into counting errors or error rates or stuff like that, but your error rate goes up quite a bit right so that can't be anything too great so it seems like that would be a piece that we would focus on and it still gets back to that kind of key point that where we're really moving is where the is is moving from focusing on people and really getting to the point to where focus on that kind of intersection between people and systems and people and work in general and how we can make that better right yeah i think that that's a piece of it that's that's kind of in and around that that same kind of vein yeah well, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, my, like my daddy's a boomer mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm not trying to slam boomers or anything, but that's one of the ways that they kind of pride themselves as like a hardworking generation. Right. Right. But how do they measure value? It's interesting because they typically measure value as like, you know, the hours worked. Right. And right. so, you know, you're coming in from this culture where it's like, oh, look at all the hours, look at all the, how dedicated I am. You know, I've done all this extra work because I, and that's adding value and, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and really, you're actually adding risk to the workplace. What we're finding is, when you put in so many extra hours, your productivity just goes down through the floor. Yes, there's studies now that say 
four to six hours. I just posted about this. I think it was yesterday. You did, yeah. That's what I was going to say. It was super interesting too, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm telling you, I think that, you know, you asked me the question, where, where are we going, right? Well, yeah. I posted that question. I got some like 5,000 views in, mm-hmm. in a day. Wait, you know? and so kind of, kind of, so I got, I got picked on about the pyramid. I think you get a little heat over that too, huh? So I, I think, did I think yeah. if I remember kind of browsing through the comments, there's a little heat on you. <laughs> so that, oh, yeah. yeah. I get picked oh, on sure. over the pyramid and you get picked on over fatigue. What's going on here? Are we, oh, are yeah, we the crazy absolutely. ones? <laughs> I know. Well, that's the thing is that you have to understand, like from that culture, mm-hmm. from my dad's culture, it's like, you know, oh yeah, we're the hardest, we're the hardest working. They pride themselves on it, you know, and, um, it's just such a shock to right. their reality, I think. Well, and, and, I, I, and honestly, one of the biggest things that's going to change safety is simply time. Yeah. Because you end up with this cohort that is, you know, they, they're, they're used to doing things a certain way. Uh, as you get older, your crystal intelligence becomes higher, mm. which means you get more set in your ways. Your fluid intelligence goes down as you get older. Mm. That's where, you know, the old saying you can't teach an old dog new tricks came from it's because there's actually biology behind that it's so hard to change an older cohort to try to teach them something new it's just how humans are wired right. and you can't blame for it it's just human well it's super so, interesting because in the ground, yeah especially so that's a good example and i, I think uh, kind of picking on some of that stuff in general just so that example the pyramid example some other stuff that we throw out there especially when we challenge some deeply kind of ingrained and entrenched ideas yeah um, yes, and I kind of throw this in here, and again, not not to pick on our own people very much, but the most most people that I battle with over pulling a stupid pyramid or an event clock off the wall are other safety people. <laughs> right? It's not it's, it's not true. a leader because most 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 directors that I talk to, like I want that stupid clock off the wall yesterday, but this this, this guy says I shouldn't because it's good to count the days in between cutting off toes or something stupid. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so it's kind of I think it's kind of similar there though because it's something that you grew up on, right? holding on to it we've probably built a lot of this stuff we've got a lot of sunk cost into it we've got a lot of personal investment into this stuff yeah it's the way that mm-hmm. i did things yep therefore it has to be the right way to do things yeah and so that is a struggle, <laughs> right? it is a struggle. as i think some of us come to find out that some folks don't like that conversation <laughs> right which is okay because it's, it's it's kind of back to leaning into the stuff that needs to be said so i kind of i don't i don't know if i've thrown it out there yet or not so i've kind of started to to uh, throw out some a couple of videos here and there too, so I'm trying to do those like once a week just to just to do them, you know. And mm-hmm. I don't think I threw it out there yet, but so it'd kind of be a little bit of a giveaway. But um, I think that's something that's super important for folks to realize that if something needs to be said, right, it's the right time to say it, and you're the person that needs to say it, you should say it, right. And I've kind of used that as the test throughout a lot of my career, where you kind of go into that conversation when you're sitting there and you're either sending an email or you're going to talk to somebody and you're going. Uh, Right, and you just kind of know that it's not going to be good, right? And if you Mm -hmm. can answer those three questions, you kind of you're you're committed, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. You're kind of committed. Um, So it's just again to throw out something that's a little usable to folks out there. That's something that that has helped me over the past um, four or five years, especially since I've been in and around kind of change agent culturey kind of stuff. You know, Um, that's been super helpful because a lot of conversations we have to have aren't very fun to have it's true sometimes well i have a good example of that uh actually just happened fairly recently um where it was uh several high level executive call so you know kind of most people would just prefer to be quiet and not Mm -hmm. get on the radar you know what i mean (laughs) 
and I'm just like, there, the conversation was about um, zero and having a goal of zero. Right. And so, of course, you know, I have, I have some issues with that um, because of the unintended consequences, as we were discussing earlier. And so on this call are several other safety professionals who I know are not, you know, it would not be in agreement with that kind of goal setting either. Mm-hmm. And like nobody was, no one was speaking up and the, and the opportunity was raised by the CEO um, saying, if anybody has an issue with it, you know, you have to let me know. And, and to his credit, you know, he was opening the door. But you always wonder though, you know, like, is this, is this a trap? A trap? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I'm just like, uh, well, I'm Redbeard. I have to say something, you know. And so I spoke up. I was the only one who did. Not easy. And believe mm-hmm. me, I was having adrenaline and heart palpitations yep. because it's high pressure. It's not easy to do it. But it comes down to, you know, the thing that you value most is in the cave to enter. You know, it's in that cave that's the darkest to you. Um, you need to go into the cave. You just you just have to do it. You got to face those fears, and, right? And uh, especially if we want to move move forward, right? You got to have those folks that are willing to say those things, are willing to have those conversations, willing to be the dissenting voice, and that's a harder part, right? I think that's that's when you really start to find kind of maturity in your organization. I think is when the dissenting voice is embraced and it's encouraged, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. like I'm serious, like I'm, this isn't a trap. If I'm full of crap, I want to know. Right, you get that yeah. leader. That's that. That is that leader, right? And that's where we not yeah. even just leader, where we all should be. It's like, I'm full of crap. Tell me, because I kind of don't yeah. want to be full of crap. <laughs> right? Yeah, and to be fair, it, to be fair, if this person is listening and they know what I'm talking about, I think that they are that kind of leader. I don't right. think it was a trap. No, and, uh, you know, most so. most folks I have found that to be true, um, and yeah. that's not always true. <laughs> I've been some places, as I'm sure you have, right? Where you that's not so true. Um, yeah, you can usually tell them. Yeah, yeah, it's it's that. So that's kind of where we find a lot of our organizations at now is that we're kind of in this speak-up culture, right? That's speak up, tell me what's on your mind, tell me I'm full of crap, be the dissenting voice. But now we have kind of the backside of that where that's really not the important part, right? The speak-up part is probably the least interesting. It's the how the organization listens up, right? So I yeah. think that's it. That's kind of the interesting part, whether it's it's a safety professional being empowered to be the dissenting voice or a frontline employee being empowered to say, hey, this is dumb, right? Mm-hmm. When they do, we got to go, okay, we got to listen now, right? That's that's the harder part of that, that equation is the listening part <laughs> and then, then the doing yeah. something part, right? Yeah. Um, so no, yeah. that's 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 super, yeah, that's super interesting. So other than that, what do you got? What do you, any, any uh, let me ask you this. What are you reading right now? What's your what's your what's your book of choice right now? Uh, right now, book of choice is the Happiness Equation. Really cool. Um, on one hand, and then on the other hand, I'm reading The Hobbit. Nice, my son. Nice, that's super cool. That mm-hmm. is super cool. Let me so and I'll let me throw this in here. So I'm I'm a nerd. So I'm kind of nerd. So I'm still kind of thumbing through this Foundation to Safety Science by Decker, which is phenomenal, by the way. If you don't have mm-hmm. that one, and I'm really digging into uh, Normal Accidents by Perot. So if anybody wants two really long yeah. reads. That are great there. Those two are awesome. So let me ask you this. Let me. This is this is one that I'm throwing out now too. Is what's your favorite podcasts? One to two, maybe three if you got them. That's not safe. Oh jeez. You, you know what's okay. Here, here's the this thing. This is very telling. So be cautious in what you say. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna evade, and, and this is this is why this is why I am not so much a consumer as I am a creator. Right. 
Right. I don't have time to consume like at all. Like I'm crazy, crazy busy. And so I know there's so much good stuff out Mm -hmm. there. You know, sometimes if somebody will throw something at me, especially if it's like digestible, something I can take in quickly and efficiently and then flip it over. Like, especially right now, and this may change in the future. I mean, as I get more, uh, it's just right now I'm like in the eye of a hurricane Uh, and I'm about, (laughs) and, and, and it's like a breathable moment. And I'm about to enter into the other half of the hurricane, mm-hmm. like with all the stuff that's going on in my in the background of my of my world, and so and it's not all bad things. It's just a lot, you know. Right, right. And so I just it's just I can barely even get through the happiness, you know. Like I have right. to put it. It's an audiobook I'm listening to on the car, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to over there and uh, and stuff, and then you know trying to focus on my son and be a good dad yeah. and all those other stuff. It's just uh, it's crazy. So I'm not really consuming much. I think this is this is a super important thing too that we're kind of touching into because um, I get you. Trust me, I know. It's it's where do you have time, right? I mean, <laughs> where do you have time? Um, and I, so I'm I'm in that same kind of kind of boat with you where it's like okay, I'm gonna get up at four a.m. so I can do this before I go do this before I go work mm-hmm. on this, and then I'm gonna stay up until like nine or ten here at the desk working on this just to make sure I can. <laughs> Hence the four hours in. of sleep, right? Right. So when when are you going to squeeze everything in? So, what yeah. would be your advice for those kind of other safety pros out there? Because burnout is super real, right? And mm-hmm. I, I would probably I, I know I've I've been I've been a victim of burnout before for sure, right? Where I'm like, yep. screw this, I'm going home, guys. Bye. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I quit. Yeah. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> you know. So well, any tips yeah. for for kind of recognizing that, avoiding that? Well, you know, because I think you mentioned something that's super important that it's easy to lose sight of that. Kind of work is not the most important thing in the world. Right. right. I've, right. I've, I've, got, a, I've yeah. got a five-year-old daughter, and so I will gladly turn off the computer in a heartbeat to go yep. watch her ride a bike any second. And yeah. the phones will go in the, the the phones will either go in the drawer and on airplane mode, <laughs> or they'll mm-hmm. stay at home, and we're out, and I'll be unavailable for a few hours. Sorry. And that's that's yeah. the that's the one tip that I'll throw out before I kind of turn the question over to you is that that's one thing I learned. I came from I kind of came from the contract world, and mm-hmm. um, they, you get pushed a lot in the contract space. If you've never been in around that, you kind of got to meet some some KPIs, right? It's kind of what you do. Sure, sure. Um, and so when I got into a position in my career to where I could do this, the work phone goes off and in the drawer, and I leave it there for a few hours every single day just to have some peace of mind and some sanity, right? Yep. And people know that. I make that very clear. I'm unavailable. Sorry. I don't care if the world blows up, burns down. It doesn't matter. You're not getting a hold of me between this time and this time. Yeah, and that's that's just a kind of a little little pro tip that I picked up that has helped me maintain some sanity. <laughs> over the past I like few it. Years. I like it. So, what do you think? What's something you anything you do in particular that folks could learn from to kind of avoid that burnout that that kind of catches up on? Well, it? it's funny you ask that because the happiness equation addresses this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some really good advice in that book. Um, I'm not all the way through it yet, but one of the things I, that he said basically is saying, you know, get organized. You know, you have three buckets of eight each in your in, every day. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the eight that you're sleeping and then you have eight that you're working and then you have eight that is kind of like your free time, you know. Um, and then, of course, if you sleep only four hours then you have 12, that's right. whatever you want to do with, you know. Right. So the one of the most important things, I think sleep's important. You, you can't get fatigued, you know, right. try to make sure you're taking care of yourself. I'm really big on diet. Like, yeah. I think carbs are evil. Yeah. Um, not really, but if you eat, you know, I'm on the keto diet, so... Um, you know, it, that has really sharpened my mind. And, and here's the interesting thing about the keto diet, um, kind of not to divert too much, but, but, uh, time has slowed down. Like my perception of time has slowed down. My days seem very, very long. 
actually. Um, and that's kind of a, a good thing in some ways and a bad thing in other ways. Um, but uh, I get better sleep. I need less sleep, I found, and I'm a lot more focused. Like my mind is much more yeah. focused and I'm, I feel better. And uh, so, so my three baskets, right, I don't maybe need eight hours of sleep. So I have a few other extra hours. Another thing is, is that I'm very efficient. I try to get things done quickly. Um, I'm like I'm very fast at texting, communicating. Um, part of that comes from the corporate world where you, know, you need to be able to respond and, and be very efficient. Um, you know, so just get organized and try to be efficient. You know, like try to say the things that you're trying to say in the fewest words possible. Right. You know, right. like just a few words to get them there. You know, turn everything into an elevator speech yep. and dumb everything down. Like you don't need to be speaking. Like one of one of my um, rules or my rules of thumb is if somebody is unable to say something simply, it means either they haven't thought about it long enough and they don't understand it well enough, or they're trying to sound smart and they're trying to deceive you somehow. Like right. they're trying to sound smarter than they really are or something yeah. like that. So, um, you know, learn how to say things simply. Wow. If That's you awesome. if you put if you put enough thought into something, you can drill down to its principle, and you should be able to teach that to anybody. Right. Super cool. So, so yeah, efficiency, get organized, and be efficient. You that, know? Yeah, that that's awesome. Yeah, for sure. Those are all phenomenal tips that I would encourage anyone out there um, in this profession or similar, where it's very people are very prone to burnout, to definitely yeah. take that to heart. So, yeah. any any other words of wisdom? Anything else to share before we? Kind of, I can say yeah, we more. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Learn to love what you do. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of it's your mindset and your attitude, yeah. you know. And, you know, if you don't like your job, well, there's got to be something you like about it. You know, look forward to those things. And, and then um, also, if you are if you are going through a hurricane, if you are going through a storm, there was this uh, amazing tip that was given to me by a chaplain in the Marine Corps. I was going through boot camp at the time. It was right after Hell Week, which is like the second weekend. Mm -hmm. And the first week, you're just going through like you're uh, in processing. And then you meet your drill instructor. And that's hell week when the drill instructors are making their first impressions on you. Okay. Um, and then at the end of the first week of, well, it's actually the second week, you get a meet with a chaplain. And the chaplain was speaking to us as a group. And he said, I'm going to give you some advice on how to get through boot camp. And he said, you can't just get there all in one bite. You have to down into smaller pieces mm -hmm. until they're small enough that you can manage. Yeah. And it's kind of like the how do you elephant yep. analogy, one bite at a time, right? right? So his advice was go chow to chow, right? So mm -hmm. every meal, just make it to the next meal. Yeah. You got to keep your head down and just make it to lunch and then make it to dinner. And then I always try to make it to my bed, you know? Yep. And so, I, so if you're ever dealing with something that seems too big, step back break it down into small pieces that are, you know, that you can, you can that are digestible. And that's a big part of it too, is don't try to take two big bites at a one time. You're going to get overwhelmed. You're not going to be able to handle it. So everything's a process. You can just break it into smaller and smaller pieces until they're small enough that you can handle. And for me, it was chow to chow in boot camp, And that was really helpful. That's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. That's, that's super, super insightful. Great, great words of wisdom there. Um, how can people get a hold of you? How can people find you? How can people find the hashtag, hashtag Redbeard? Yeah. How can they get a hold of you? Other than this, the super awesome hashtag. You guys are, that's just a, just awesome marketing, by the way. I just love it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, um, one way to get in touch with me is to go to 
be either to go to isrecordable.com. It's one of my websites. Mm -hmm. um, I answer OSHA record keeping questions. Cool. Um, Very cool. There's a chat. Yeah, there's a chat box on there. Uh, you can it'll come straight to my phone. So if you ever want to reach out to me personally, even if it's not about record keeping, if you just want to chat, just reach. a small piece of time to respond to you. I'm pretty responsive. Um, uh, SafetyJusticeLeague.com uh, has the same chat feature, and that goes to um, Abby Ferry, Jason Lucas, Jason Maldonado, and myself. So one of us will respond if you want to reach out that way. Um, you know, otherwise, um, uh, you know, my other website is AccustasUSA.com. So uh, part owner of a, it's basically a data analytics company. Um, you can reach out to me through that as well. Um, my, uh, the co-owner of that company, his name is Joe Murdoch. You can also connect with him on LinkedIn. He's such a good guy. And, uh, he was, a um, basically a pastor of his church. Just, he's been a mentor to me. Um, so you can reach out through there, uh, and talk to him. So he's really good too, but there's, you know, otherwise you could just, um, uh, send me an email, uh, at, just my first initial last name at gmail.com. So I just have an open door. If anyone wants to reach out, uh, please cool. do so. Super cool. That's awesome. So I'm going to, I'm going to share something with you. Um, okay. So I don't, I don't, uh, we, when we mentioned that this would probably happen, so I'm kind of more of a short form podcast, but we went two hours and seven minutes. Wow. Just so everybody out there, <laughs> thank, you, made it this far, yeah. thank you for hanging with us. Hopefully you've broken this down into multiple parts. Cause I'm not going to just FI. This is going out in one. So I'm super lazy, so I might break it down to like four episodes and just not record anything for like a month. <laughs> no, there you go. No, that's smart. No. So that's that's it, man. I I greatly appreciate you coming on. This has been Thanks awesome, for having me, man. Awesome. And I know people will absolutely love this one. I I, I was so excited for this conversation and it did not it definitely didn't just Likewise. I mean it was just great. So Super cool. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to plan to do this again. I'm sure we'll get a request to do this again. Okay. Well, hey, you know, we covered a lot of ground, and so mm -hmm. a lot of things to think about, and, um, you know, there's a lot of tangents we could go. Yep. So, uh, so and, and and you heard Nate, he gave out his email for hate mail. You know mine, obviously. Yeah. So when, <laughs> exactly. when you want to throw rocks at me and chairs and computers over the pyramid, it's, it's available. I'm there. <laughs> so to the point about being responsive, I'm super responsive to the point that I'm not. <laughs> so... <laughs> Right. We'll gladly welcome all that input. We absolutely do. I, I know Nate does. I know I do for sure. So. Absolutely. So until next time, man. All right, man. Thank all you right. again. Thank you so much. Holy cow. What did you think about that? Nate's a pretty awesome person, right? And go over, check out, check out his LinkedIn page. He's got tons of amazing content. Um, I think he's on Twitter. I think he's just about everywhere. I know they put out some stuff on YouTube. Um, when I say they, I mean the Safety Justice League. So make sure you check out that whole group, hashtag Safety Justice League. They're folks that I'll follow along with. They just have some amazing, amazing thought-provoking content that they put out on pretty much a, a daily basis. So uh, go check that stuff out. But anyways, what'd you think? Like it? Love it? Hate it? Gotta have it? 
all that kind of fun stuff, make sure you let me know, thehopnerd at gmail.com. There's a text message number down below. Make sure you shoot me a text message to that. Uh, and it's not just a text number. You can call, leave voicemails, all that kind of stuff. Hey, I might even pick up. Who knows, right? Uh, make sure you slide into the DMs on all things social media. Just get a hold of me. Again, having this conversation is really the, the fun and cool part for me. And I think it's the fun and cool part for all the folks that come on as well. We just love talking to you, interacting with you. This is all for you. That's kind of the whole point, right? Is that we all get together and get to have these amazing, awesome conversations, debates, arguments, all that fun stuff. It's just part of this journey because that's how we make the world a better place to work. We do it together and we do it by figuring out all this stuff together. So until next time, that's all I got. I think an hour of this episode, an hour of the last is enough, right? I, I, hope, you're, I hope you're done hearing my voice <laughs> at this point. So until next time, everybody, this is Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd, signing off. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.